When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome into another solo podcast edition of the Strictly Stracks podcast. Muhammad Ahmad riding the solo wave up and down as we get through yet another week. The last week before training camp. Hard to believe, but if you have been following me on this podcast, I have said over and over and over and I think over again that time is flying, which time is an interesting concept, but that's a podcast for another day. Today's podcast is going to talk about a lot. We're going to talk about the Bengals ring of Ana, some more top 25 conversations leading into training camp, and... We're going to read some more fan responses because we've got quite a few that I haven't gotten to, and I want to really get through them, uh, especially before we get to training camp. Before we do that, make sure you sign up for our Cincinnati football uh, insider service. I would have Andrew talk about it, but Andrew's not here, so I'll just tell you plain and simple. We text you everything you got to know about the Bengals, especially right now with training camp. Really good time to do so. Two-week free trial to start. Sign up. It's very easy. It's only $4.99 a month after the two-week free trial, so make sure you sign up and do that. It's very well worth your time, and yes, your money, $4.99. It's a Starbucks drink. I promise you you can live with that. And when you get all the details that no one else gets on you know, the website or Twitter or elsewhere, you'll be happy. So I'll tell you who's happy, though. Boomer Esiason is very happy. Chad Johnson, Chad Ochocinco, however you want to call him. Obviously, he's legally reverted his name to Chad Johnson, but if you want to call him Ocho. Chad Johnson and Boomer are both in the Bengals ring of honor and they are in some very elite company. Yes, they join um, Anthony Munoz, who's the only Bengal in the hall of fame right now. Willie Anderson, who should be in the hall of fame soon. Ken Anderson, who I think should be in the hall of fame as well. Pretty soon. Um, I believe he was just recently announced as a uh, semi-finalist for the, Veterans Committee? I could be wrong on that. Oh, yes, he is a, uh, a senior nominee. He's a senior nominee semifinalist. So uh, hopefully he gets his shot soon. So you're in there with uh, Willie Anderson, Ken Anderson, uh, Anthony Munoz, Isaac Curtis, the late Ken Riley, who's going to be inducted into the Hall of Fame very soon. And, of course, the one and only Paul Brown, who was the former namesake of what's now Paycor Stadium. I still think Paul Brown Stadium sounds cooler. But yeah, uh, they were voted in by season ticket holders. I don't think anybody or really, frankly, most people are shocked by that. 
I had the most money on uh, Johnson and Asaizen to lead the way. I, I thought Chris Collinsworth had a pretty good chance, to be honest. Uh, I thought that you know he was going to maybe have a legitimate shot, just given the fact that he's such a likable guy with his job with NBC and just the fact that he actually had a really good career in Cincinnati, one of a few players who played in uh, those two Super Bowls uh, in the 1980s with, of course, Boomer Esiason. And I don't think there's too much to break that other than, you know, I think it's obvious they were the frontrunners, like I said. That's not really the main discussion. I think the main discussion is how and what did they do that really left a mark on the game. I think with, with Chad, it's really easy. I mean, and you can give credit to Terrell Owens, who ironically played with him um, in their last season together in Cincinnati in 2010. But I think a lot of credit goes to Chad Johnson with the fact that a lot of guys in the NFL who who have these flamboyant, impromptu, exciting touchdown celebrations, a lot of those guys can attribute that to Chad Johnson. I mean, you saw him. I I think he had the – no, it was Terrell Owens with the pom-poms. Uh, the point is he he autographed uh, football, I think. I'm already – I know I'm going to get these mixed up, so I have to fact-check myself here. Uh, but the point is he had a lot of fun touchdown celebrations. He always had a lot of lip service for guys like Bart Scott from the Baltimore Ravens, uh, quote-unquote accidentally ran into Ray Lewis, which uh, we all know was uh, – that was no accident. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go to YouTube and look up Chad Johnson, Ray Lewis. Oh, so – I'm fact-checking myself here. So you had Chad Johnson doing the little Irish dance. Uh, you had him holding the orange sign saying, Dear NFL, please don't find me again, exclamation mark. Uh, and he got on one of the cameras back when uh, they had one of the broadcasts for CBS. He just grabbed one of the cameras and operated it. I think Vontez Burfecht did the same thing uh, sometime not too long ago in the past. But, yeah, uh, you know, you got to remember, too, he was also – you know, he also had a lot of dignity. I think there's really one touchdown celebration that sticks out to me, and that was when the Bengals played uh, the Chargers the week after uh, the late Chris Henry died in that tragic accident. You know, he bent down on his knees and uh, honored him after he scored a touchdown, like I said, in San Diego. Um, so, you know, the thing with Ocho is maybe sometimes people look at him and say, well, he was just too much. You know, he was he was good. Obviously, a four-time All-Pro. I think he made six Pro Bowls to go with that. You know, still the leading receiver in team history with over 10,783 receiving yards. Um, I know A.J. Green's not too far behind. and Jamar Chase will definitely get there in no time. Maybe T. Higgins does if he sticks around. But, you know, I think that with Ocho Cinco Johnson, I, I think of Ocho Cinco, but, you know, whatever you want to call him, Ocho Johnson, definitely maybe went too far sometimes. Maybe he'll directly or indirectly admit that. Um, But he clearly had a lot of honor. He clearly cared about winning. You know, he said himself, he was more focused on entertaining the fans with the intention of winning a Lombardi. Obviously he didn't do that. Although he almost won one with Tom Brady in the only year they played together in 2011, actually played in that Super Bowl uh, against the giants in Indianapolis, but of course didn't win that game. Uh, Almost did came close, but not quite. Uh, so, you know, almost won a Lombardi, tried to do the best he could with Cincinnati. You know, they made two two playoff runs. I know one of those runs he, he said earlier today when he spoke with the media. And I really thought about this because uh, I was a young 12-year-old when I watched this, but I really remember this. When they lost to the Jets in back-to-back games uh, to end the 2009 season, 
Um, you know, they lost in that Week 17 game, which the Bengals were already in the playoffs at that point, but losing to the Jets meant they had to play them again um, in the playoffs. And, of course, it was a primetime loss, which didn't help in Week 17. Then the playoffs come. You're playing Mark Sanchez, a rookie quarterback, who I don't think most people would have expected to go far as he did. But um, whether you want to say, you know, the Bengals shot themselves in the foot or Mark Sanchez shot them in the foot, the Bengals did not win that game. Uh, I know the Jets were a pretty good team. They had a, a really deep run where they almost beat Peyton Manning in Indianapolis that year, but he really regretted that. He regretted those losses. He even said himself that if, you know, and I wonder, I really thought about this because I've talked with Andrew and, you know, Mike Nizek when he was with us about this. You know, he said in 2005 when Carson Palmer tore his ACL against uh, the Steelers in that playoff game, you know, the Bengals' first playoff game since 1990. He thought that had that not happened where, you know, Kimo Van Alhoffen injured Palmer's ACL, had that not happened, he thought the Bengals were going to win the Super Bowl. Now, that's pretty bold because at that point, if everything else in the NFL playoffs in the AFC went the way they did, then I believe the Bengals would have had to go to Denver and play Denver on the road. And then at that point, you're playing either New England or Indianapolis. Now, mind you, New England was a defending world champion that year. And Indianapolis was 14-2. and I think Peyton Manning just came off of an NFL MVP, and that was one of the best years he had in his time in Indianapolis. So, I mean, I could definitely see them making an AFC championship. Had they played in Indianapolis, I think that would have been tough because um, although they had a close shootout in that regular season game in Cincinnati that season, I, I just don't think that you're beating Peyton Manning in the RCA Dome. Now, if Tom Brady comes to town because the Patriots were a lower seed. Again, that's tough because, you know, they had won back-to-back Super Bowls at that point. And Brady, crazy to say this, I mean, this is 2005, and he had the same respect that he has now in 2022, having just retired. It just shows you how amazing he was, Um, not to get off topic. But I just don't know if you're beating Tom Brady even in Cincinnati if you're hosting an AFC championship. So could have been, should have been, would have been, who knows. But Ocho Cinco, you know, for what it's worth, Again, I know he's not really concerned about numbers and stats, although they they came. He really revolutionized guys being themselves, guys being authentic. And again, I say this say this acknowledging that he may have gone too far, uh, quite too far, maybe sometimes. But he was just being himself. And uh, you know, I think guys like Jamar Chase and T Higgins and Joe Mixon. You know, Joe Mixon pulling out the coin flip. Like you could probably attribute that to guys like uh, Chad Johnson. As for Boomer, you know, I don't want to focus too much on the 1988 season, but I mean, that's really what people think of. You think of the last Bengal to win MVP, the greatest quarterback to play in Cincinnati, not named Joe Burrow. Uh, No disrespect to Ken Anderson. Again, I think Ken Anderson really should be in the Hall of Fame. So maybe there's a debate there, but I mean, not named Ken Anderson or Joe Burrow, to be fair. Um, I don't think Carson Palmer is up there just because he didn't have any success in the playoffs. So, you know, you got to say, like, yeah, you could be talking about one of the best, if not the best quarterbacks in franchise history. So that in and of itself is pretty self-explanatory. You know, taking the team to the Super Bowl, almost beating Joe Montana in Miami, that is a very tall task. I mean, Joe Montana to this day is still one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play the game. So to almost beat him in the biggest stage in football, I mean, again, would have been something if you beat him, but to almost beat him in and of itself is remarkable. And I don't say that lightly because, I mean, that, that team had Jerry Rice and 
Roger Craig and so many other legendary guys, Randy Cross and a lot of other talented players who just, you know, I think we still talk about to this day for their talent. So I just think, you know, the way he, um, you know, the offense they had with Sam Weish and then later with uh, Bruce Coslett, you know, who was another coach that he played for uh, later after he went to New York, I think because he, uh, he followed him from Cincinnati. So naturally it made sense. So, you know, and, and then of course they, they went back together in Cincinnati in his, his final year in 1997 with the team. So, you know, they, they were together in obviously in, in Cincinnati, the first and second time they're together in New York mixed success, of course, but I, you got to really think about just that offense they put together uh, and the way Sam Wright Weish just had the most dominant, I mean, I think that offense they had in 1988 was the most dominant they've ever had. I mean, unless Joe Burrow puts together like freakish numbers with Jamar Chase and T. Higgins and, you know, Joe Mixon and the new offensive line with Orlando Brown, I think to this day that is still going to be the best offense that we've seen in Cincinnati. So how do you not remember that? I mean, I wasn't even alive. I was negative 10 years old in 1988, and I have read bit by bit about the offense and I'm not a coach. I can't really analyze it, but just the way things came together was like remarkable. Um, you know, of course they had Icky Woods, uh, you know, they had Tim McGee, they had Eddie Brown, they had really, really good guys. Uh, you know, they had Stanford Jennings, uh, they had James Brooks, lots of good players, but it all starts with your quarterback. And there's a reason why he, you know, just did what he did. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to talk about uh, some guys in the top 25 that we haven't talked about. We're going to read some fan responses and much, much more to talk about when we return right here on the Strictly Stripes podcast. Thanks for staying with us on the Strictly Stripes podcast. Uh, talk a lot about Chad Johnson and Boomer size and getting into the uh, Bengals ring of honor. One more note I want to make about that. I think what's so cool, and Boomer Esiason mentioned this, what's so cool about this Ring of Honor, which uh, this is the third inaugural class that they're doing with this uh, system with the Ring of Honor, I think it's really cool that guys from completely different generations, like Boomer Esiason from the 80s and 90s, Chad Johnson from the 2000s to 2010s, guys like that are united. Like They're going to be inducted together, and I don't know the relationship, between Chad and Boomer. I'm sure it's a good one. Obviously, you know, you, you both play in Cincinnati. You're going to know each other. And, you know, uh, Boomer was a color commentator for so many years uh, for ESPN and Westwood One. I would think that they know each other pretty well, but, you know, that induction is going to bring them even closer. And how much cooler is it that, you know, Joe Burrow and, you know, Jamar Chase and T. Higgins and all these other guys, Sam Hubbard, you know, guys who are already becoming legends in their own right in Cincinnati. They're going to be there on that Monday night game before the Rams, before they play the Rams in that Super Bowl rematch. Like, they're going to see those guys and think, man, like, that could be us. Like, if we make a run like this, you know, if we make a run like they made, you know, like Boomer made in 1988, we build off of what we had in 2021, then we, we could be getting those jackets. And Joe Burrow's going to get into the Ring of Honor. I mean, when, when he's eligible, he's going to be like the first guy in. But for other guys who want to, you know, shoot their shot, like, Chad Johnson and Boomer Sias, and then, you know, they can see that and think, wow, like, I want to be like that. And uh, I think that really goes to the credit of uh, Caroline Blackburn, um, who is Katie Blackburn's daughter, uh, who is the daughter of Mike Brown. So the great, basically the great granddaughter of uh, Paul Brown, 
you know, she is continuing her great grandfather's legacy by uh, making sure that people from the Bengals now and then are being honored. I just think it's really cool. And I am genuinely, um, as a journalist, but as a fan of football myself, I am looking forward to that Monday Night Football induction. Okay, so we talked a lot about that. Uh, I want to go back and talk about our top 25 rankings. And I want to spend too much time on this because, like, I want to basically round out our week, just finishing it up. Uh, We talked about Tyler Boyd and Logan Wilson on Tuesday. Yesterday, we took a break because we talked with uh, Mike Petraglia about training camp. Because, of course, we can't talk about, you know, this podcast without training camp. So I want to talk about the guys who are eight through four on our list. Okay, so eight through four. I'm going in order here. I'm just trying to make sure I have it correctly. We have Trey Hendrickson at number eight. Uh, These are on our websites, by the way, so it's not really a surprise. We have Trey Hendrickson at eight. Chidobe Abouzier at seven. Alex Kappa at six. And Orlando Brown Jr. at number four. And we have – I'm trying to load this up here. Sorry, my uh, list is glitching. Uh, Orlando Brown at number four. No, no, Orlando Brown at number five. And DJ Reader at number four. Okay, so I'm going to say that one more time. Eight through four. Number eight, Trey Hendrickson. Number seven, Cheeto Awuzie. Number six, Alex Kappa. Number five, Orlando Brown. Number four, DJ Reader. So I don't want to focus too much on the guys below them. I want to just focus on those names in particular. Um, I'm looking at the rankings that I had because I like to compare and contrast it with what I I had. I had something very similar to this. I had DJ Reader at four, um, which is where he ended up landing. So that made sense. Had Alex Kappa at five rather than six because I had Orlando Brown at six. And again, I I know I've talked about this in depth, but I had Sam Hubbard at number seven. So um, again, I, I would probably have Hubbard a lot lower um, because I know I had Tyler Boyd at eight. He ended up being at nine. Um, yeah. I don't know why I had Alex Kappa ahead of Orlando Brown. Like I don't even have an explanation for that. I may have actually done that inadvertently. Like I think I meant to have it switched. I think I meant to have Orlando Brown at five and Kappa at four. So that's pretty easy. Um, and it wasn't really that much different for Andrew. He had DJ reader at number four. Um, he had Orlando Brown at five, which again is what ended up playing out. Had Chidobe Awuzie at six, which is interesting. Um, that might have been a little too high. He had Mike Hilton at number eight, so that probably explains it. Alex Kappa was sandwiched in the middle there at number seven. As for Mike, uh, who you know his his role uh, contributed to making the list that we have now. Uh, Orlando Brown was at number four. DJ Reader was at number five. Alex Kappa was six. Trey Hendrickson was seven, and Chido Beawuzie was number eight. So, yeah, I would say Mike had it pretty close because um, he had Brown and Reader switched at the four and five spots, uh, had Cap at six, but he also had Trey Hendrickson and uh, Chido Awuzie switched because Hendrickson should have been at eight. He had him at seven, and Awuzie was at uh, number eight when he should have been at seven. So, yeah. You know, I, I think... I don't think there's anything wrong with having Awuzie at number eight, like seven or eight, I should say. And I think the same is true with Trey Hendrickson. Like having him at seven or eight is fine with me. I mean, he's ahead of Sam Hubbard, who uh, ended up being number uh, 11 on our list. And then I know we had Logan Wilson and Tyler Boyd ahead of them, respectively, uh, you know, uh, before you get to uh, Hendrickson and Awuzie and the other names I mentioned all the way four through eight. 
So I just think that with Hendrickson, I know he's got a lot of question marks. You know, is he going to be worth keeping in 2024? You have Miles Murphy, um, pro bowler last year, granted, but still had a pretty significant drop off in his sack total on top of the fact that he's going to be 30 next year. And if the drop-off continues, then it's a pretty safe bet to say that Miles Murphy will take his job and Trey Hendrickson is just not going to be a Bengal in 2024. I could be wrong. Uh, Hendrickson maybe makes up or matches last year's performance and Miles Murphy's still behind him uh, with more of a role in 2024, of course, because there's a reason why he's a first-round pick because Hendrickson's not going to be there as a starter forever. I mean, I think after 2024, the guy moves on. Um, so I just think, yeah, that makes sense. I like having a woozy a little higher. The only caveat is, of course, he tore his ACL, but I don't think it matters. I mean, he's going to be ready for trading camp, and I think he's going to be just as good as he was before the injury in Cleveland on Monday night last year. Uh, and you got to remember, man, like they don't have Eli Apple. He's gone, long gone. That ship has sailed. I don't see him coming back even as a backup. I, I think either he's out of the league right now or he just signs with another team, whoever that is. So, you know, and not to knock on Cam Taylor Britt because Cam Taylor Britt obviously had a pretty high ranking on this list, I believe around number 18 or 19. I'd have to double check that. Uh, he had a pretty high ranking on this list. So it's not like Cam Taylor Britt's not going to be important, but, you know, it's his first full-time starting job. I mean, he came in for Awuzie last year when he was alongside Eli Apple. But now that Eli's gone and he's playing with Cheeto, it's going to be a tall task. He's going to have to learn a lot of things from Cheeto because, you know, I said the same thing about Dax Hill and Nick Scott and Jordan Battle and all the other safeties that they have. You know, he's going to have to really make sure that when teams test him because he is going to be tested. He's going to be tested by Deshaun Watson, Lamar Jackson, um, I'm blanking out here. Why am I blanking out? Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, like, I mean, heck, Trevor Lawrence, because they're playing them in Jacksonville. Like, those guys are really going to come after you. So you better be ready. And, and you're guarding guys like Christian Kirk, Stephon Diggs, uh, DeAndre Hopkins going to Tennessee. Like, you got to deal with DeAndre Hopkins. Um, you know, and uh, Elijah Moore, who's just joining the Browns in a trade. I mean, Amari Cooper's not going anywhere. Donovan Peoples-Jones, who taught him a valuable lesson last year when he came in on Monday night. You got to be ready for guys like that. And you know, that's why I think the leadership role combined with Awuzie's talent gives him a, a deserving ranking there. Kappa, I like at six. I mean, he's definitely top 10. He's, I think he was the best starter on that offensive line last year. You can make a debate for Ted Karras, but way better than Ted Karras. And Karras was almost 10 spots below Alex Kappa, which is not a knock on cares but rather it's a it's a compliment on kappa's talent i think you've got to say that yeah kappa deserves to be at number six but he's not the best uh lineman on the line it's orlando brown who's one notch above him so that's easy for me i don't think there's much there uh brown is better than kappa kappa deservingly i think is going to play a big role protecting joe burrow which is also again this is why i think these are very complex when you get into offense versus defense comparisons Kappa's significance at six doesn't underscore the importance of having Chidobe Awuzie at seven, but I just think that, you know, protecting Joe Burrow is a really big deal. They haven't done that as well as they've liked since Burrow's been in Cincinnati his rookie year, but 
they can definitely uh, change that narrative if all goes well with Kappa. And that's why his role, I think, is part of why he was so high on the list. Uh, Orlando Brown, I mean, that's a top five player on the team. Like, you don't go out and spend all that money on a top five guy. I mean, is he a top 10 tackle at his position? I don't know. I think he has a chance to to change that narrative this season if all goes as planned. Uh, but with DJ Reader, easily the best defender on the team. Easily. Easily, easily, easily. I am not trying to insult anyone else on that defense because there's many other guys on this list. But for DJ Reader, it's really going to come down to this and more. But really for me, it's this. To come back having missed seven games, seven games, and to do what you did, you know, defending four passes for in your return, you know, being one of the best run stoppers in the league. Like he had a PFF grade of 70 or more on rush defense in half of his 10 starts uh, that he played last year uh, before and after his injury. The dude can ball. And he did all of this after literally tearing his MCL, injuring his knee. That's tough. That's tough. I'm not going to act like that's, that's something you just bounce back from. I mean, I bet you even after he came back, he had to fight through that pain and still do what he did. And you know what? A guy who's high like that has to be talked about for an extension next year. I get it. I get it. I get it a million times. I get it. The Bengals don't like to pay guys into their 30s. I don't care. The Bengals have done a lot of things differently since Joe Burrow came. We talked about the mix-in pay cut. We talked about drafting Miles Murphy in the first round. We talked about their free agency approach with Orlando Brown. Like Things are different around here. This is not your brother's Bengals, not your daddy's Bengals, not your grandpappy's Bengals, or your great-grandpappy's Bengals. We say Pappy in Kentucky where I'm from, so sorry if that irks people in the Midwest and elsewhere listening to this. Uh, grandfather, I should say. Um, so things are changing, and that's why I think – DJ Reader's a dog, and he's going to get his in 2023 and 2024. And if the Bengals don't keep him, I understand, but don't be shocked if he makes a lot of money somewhere else, even at the age of 30, because he's worthy of it and he's capable of it. I want to wrap this up by reading some fan responses that I didn't get to this week. Um, so I'm going to pull these up here as I'm speaking. I'm trying to get this loaded up. Uh, we read one. No, we read uh, – was it one? Yes, we read one on, one on Tuesday – uh, it was a fan from Columbus who was very entertaining. So I'm going to read something even more entertaining. We read James Miller's response. Now I'm going to read Mr. Steve Farst from New Albany, Ohio, who sent this in not too long ago. I'm going to read it here. It's a long answer, but it's worth it. I was 10 years old, lived in Finneytown, Ohio, and Pop's company had season tickets for the first year of the Bengals' existence in the AFL. It took me to a game at Nippert Stadium, which is Cincinnati's campus. That was used before Riverfront Stadium was finished. I was awestruck by the colors in action before me, and I was hooked. They gave me a Bengals sports jacket for my birthday and a Bengals kids' uni and helmet blazoned with the exciting design, sarcasm interlude of the Bengals' first-gen uni. In a few months, we moved away from Cincy when he was transferred to New Jersey. It's made my Bengals passion more strong. In 1978, I returned to the land of football, a.k.a. Ohio, to attend Ohio State, my junior year, the new unis came out, and I was thrilled. What an amazing 1981 season was. I fondly recall the 82 AFC Championship game, freezing my ass off as my Bengals won and made it to the Super Bowl. Fast forward 1989, my wife was pregnant, expecting our second child about the date of the 1989 Super Bowl. Wow. 
Thankfully, she came into the world after the game. Otherwise, I'd have a difficult choice to make. I'm 63 now and have lived through my ups and downs and three heartbreaking Super Bowls that my long live long team has lost by a combined 12 points. I cried in 2022 when, led by the gift of the Ohio football gods, Joe Cool came down to earth and was adorned with tiger stripes to the point. I'm a Bengals fan because of my dad. It goes back to 1968. He died in 2012, and he was my hero. The Bengals are my connection to my dad. I love you, Pop. Who day? Is someone cutting onions up in here? Man, respect. Respect. All I can say is respect. That's the best response I've read here. Respect. But let's see if this tops it. This is Craig Schuster from North Canton, Ohio. Right, here we go. Growing up in Stark County, Ohio, 40 miles south of Cleveland, I was, of course, a Browns fan. I was in the seventh grade when the Bengals became a reality, and there were plenty of articles in the newspaper about them because of Paul Brown's roots in Massillon. I was interested, but the Browns were my team. But in 1969, the Bengals traded my favorite player, Paul Warfield. Someone said the same thing not long ago. I remember this. Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you there, Craig. And I started following the Bengals a little closer. My dad had a co-worker who lived in Magnolia, Ohio, and was friends with Vince Costello, Costello's hometown. Vince played linebacker for the Browns in the 60s and was a linebacker's coach, I believe, for the Bengals. I'll double check that. Dad told his friend that I was becoming a Bengals fan who passed along the story to Costello. A new young fan in Browns country must have hit Costello just right. One day, a box showed up at the house addressed to me from the Cincinnati Bengals. Inside was a Bengals jacket, pennants, press guide, and pictures of all the key players. Needless to say, I was sold and became a Bengals fan. I still follow them closely. Thank you, Sunday Ticket. Every win is sweet, but I still get the greatest satisfaction when we beat the Browns. They should have never traded Warfield. Well, um, the Warfield debate is interesting. I'm not covering the Browns, but I have heard a lot of people in Cleveland talk about the whole what if with Paul Warfield. Obviously, I know he did a lot of big things in Miami, and that's why he's a Hall of Famer. So, understandably, I could see why a lot of the Browns' defects went to uh, Cincinnati as a means of uh, retribution. I don't blame them there. Stay with us Friday. Um, I don't normally say this is a big deal, but I need you all to tune in with us on Friday. I know I've told you guys to tune into many podcasts before, but when I say tune in Friday, I need you to tune in Friday. I can't tell you why, but I will tell you why on Friday because we have some big news we're going to announce tomorrow, uh, and we hope you join us for that. And as we round out our top 25 uh, Bengals for 2023 and much more to go. But once again, for myself and only myself, I'm Muhammad Amar. See you